from the Cyber Hub Bunker and Studio. You're tuning in to the Cyber Hub Podcast. And now for your host and CISO, James Azar. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to another exciting podcast. It's May 1st, y'all. Can you believe it? Five months. I'm back in the studio. So excited to be here with all of y'all this morning. Sorry we missed the show on Thursday. We had technical difficulties. It was a flight day. There were issues where I was supposed to be recording in my hotel room where internet went down. We'll talk about that here in just a little bit because there's actually a good reason for it, um, and it's documented. So uh, so apologize for the silence, but I was airborne on Thursday, and so we couldn't get the show uh, recorded. Thank you all for your understanding, and welcome to another awesome episode. We're back. We're in the studio. It's exciting. It's awesome. And this Thursday, I'll be joining my friends at Data Connectors in Dallas, Texas. I'll be hosting an awesome panel and fireside chat with Sissel and Patrick and all these amazing CISOs and, and Jamin and man, the list goes on. Very, very excited. Come out if you're in Dallas, Texas. Uh, link is in the show notes. You can get your free ticket now by just using the CyberHub um, podcast promo code and come join me in Dallas, Texas on Thursday for an awesome Data Connectors event. Um, I can't wait to be back in Dallas. So excited. One of my favorite cities. So y'all know, because for a year I did a broadcasting directly from Dallas. So very exciting. So we've got a packed show this morning. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast. Find us on your favorite podcast listening platform. A lot going on. And with that being said, join me for my double espresso. Yes, home-brewed, homemade, and always so good. Coffee cup cheers, y'all. So very excited. Good morning, Chris, Scott, Matthew, and the awesome Don who's putting up data connectors, y'all. If you haven't been to a data connectors event recently, they're really, really awesome. And I know everyone's kind of coming off of RSA, but don't let that deter you uh, coming off of RSA to not go into data connectors. You, you guys definitely want to be there on Thursday. The agenda's packed and it's great. And the people are great. It's Dallas. We'll start with criminals targeting vulnerable Veeam backup servers that are being exposed online. The Veeam backup servers, and by the way, Veeam is one of the largest backup companies in the world today. Many, many organizations use Veeam for their cold and hot backups. Um, it's, 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 this is significant. This is bigger than what a lot of people um, um, give this uh, attack and, and kind of give this exploit credit for. Malicious activities and tools that are echoing the Fin7 attacks have been observed in intrusion since at least March 28th, less than a week after an exploit became available for a high severity vulnerability in the Veeam backup and replication software. Tracked as CVE 2023-27532, the security issue exposes encrypted credentials stored in the VBR configuration to unauthenticated users in the backup infrastructure. This could be used to access the backup infrastructure host. They fixed the issue on March 7th, by the way, and provided workaround instruction. On March 23rd, Horizon 3 released an exploit for CVE 2023-27532, which also demonstrated how an unsecured API endpoint could be abused to extract the credentials in plain text. At the time, Huntress also warned that there were approximately 7,500 internet-exposed VBR hosts that still appear to be vulnerable. Threat researchers at several security organizations have all said they've observed uh, uh, active scanning and uh, uh, TTPs going after these uh, unpatched uh, servers based on the timing of the campaign, TCP port 9401 on compromised servers and the host running a vulnerable version 
uh, were all looking to be exploited. Um, so you can obviously understand how significant this is. If you're a ransomware group, your company now just joined the top of the list. So one, you've got a patch. Number two, you've got to use the workarounds if you can. And if you can't use the workarounds, then you definitely, definitely want to reconsider your options. You definitely want to look for another backup solution. This is significant, folks. Um, I don't know how, how, how any other way to say security gang. It, this is going to go down um, for, for a lot of organizations. Backup and restore is critical. It's, it's harder to do than, than it is said. Um, I've said this in many of my blogs, but this is definitely something to keep an eye on. If you're worried about your DNA sequencing uh, software, you should be because CISA is now warning that an ICS medical advisory of a critical flaw impacting the Illumina medical devices, the issue is impacting the universal copy service software and the Illumina Meet Sequence DX, Next Seek Sec 550DX, iScan, iScan 100, and so forth. There's a whole list of these. The most severe of the flaws is CVE 2023-1968, a CVSS score of a perfect 10. It permits remote attackers to bind and expose IP addresses, thereby making it possible to eavesdrop on network traffic and remotely transmit arbitrary command. The second issue relates to a case of privilege misconfiguration, CVE 2023-1966, a CVSS score of 7.4 that could enable a remote unauthenticated malicious actor to upload and execute code with elevated permissions. The sys alert says successful exploitation could allow an attacker to take any action at the OS level. A threat actor could impact settings, configuration software, or data on the affected product. A threat actor could interact through the affected product via a connected network. The FDA also chimed in and said an unauthorized user could weaponize this shortcoming to impact genomic data results in the instruments intended for clinical diagnostics. Diagnosis, I'm sorry, including causing the instrument to provide no results, incorrect results, altered results, or a potential data breach. There's no evidence that they've been exploited, but nonetheless, this kind of goes into the whole idea of we often talk about the grid, but medical devices are just as vulnerable. And this one is significant because when they're doing uh, DNA sequencing, this is typically for disease, for 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 um, for really critical. Uh, decisions in, in someone's uh, life and in their healthcare. And so having this become available is a significant risk. Google blocked 1.4 million three malicious apps, banning 173,000 bad accounts and fending off over 2 billion in fraudulent and abusive transaction through its developer facing features like voided purchases, API, obfuscated account ID and play integrated API. In a, the addition of identity verification methods such as phone numbers and email addresses to join the Google Play contributed to the reduction in accounts. Something so simple it took them so long to do. I've often been very critical of Google Play for this. I get the idea of having an open platform for people to develop and do what they need to do. But you've got to validate, especially when you're when when you're probably the most used OS on the mobile market. You're the number one target constantly, constantly, almost every single week. One story a week that we talk about here on the show has to do with this and they don't fix it. And now they're just doing something as simple as making sure that you've got a phone number and email address. Come on, you guys could have done this five years ago. This is literally, it's like you took the playbook from 10 years ago and said, what could we do to prevent fraud? Huh? Force factor, uh, phone number and email address verification. Great. Do more. 
do more. You ought to do more for your users. You ought to do more because people don't trust you. When we don't trust you, when you become an, a, a liability, we're looking elsewhere. We all are. Um, this development comes weeks after Google enacted a new data deletion policy that requires apps developers to offer a readily discoverable option for users from both within and outside the app. Uh, McAfee's uh, mobile research team discovered 38 games masquerading as Minecraft and which have been installed by Enola's 35 million users worldwide, primarily located in US, Canada, South Korea, and Brazil. You wonder why we're losing the cyber game. You wonder why we're trailing. It's because of these types of organizations and these types of rules. Like this shouldn't take you five years to do this. It shouldn't have taken you five years to do this. This should have been done five years ago. We have a problem. Let's do this. Um, so they've finally done it. They've taken down millions of apps and prevented $2 billion worth of financial fraud. Good job, Google. I would applaud you if you weren't late to the party. Goes on to our next story where anonymous Sudan claims responsibility for DDoS attacks against Israel. So last week on Wednesday and um, Wednesday was Israel's independence day. They celebrated 75 years. It was amazing. It was great. Um, beautiful flyovers, just awesome family time in my last day in the country. And Israel was also attacked by a massive amount of DDoS attacks that day. It took down the personal website of the office of the prime minister, hijacked his Facebook account. They've also attacked the websites for the port of Haifa and the Israel port development company uh, made the pages inaccessible. They've also brought down the National Insurance Institute website and that of the Mossad. Now, the group Anonymous uh, Sudan is the one claiming responsibility for it. There were additionally sprawling power outages in Israel that day in major cities from Tel Aviv to Be'er Sheva. Um, they're claimed account, they've claimed uh, credit for it. Uh, the Israelis have rebuffed that saying, nope, that was just uh, over usage and, and, and not, not planning correctly. Was a, uh, That's the claim, at least from the Israeli Electric Corporation that were not due to a hack of their systems, noting that the main way to avoid such large-scale outages in such cases in the future is to expand the production of alternatives in the form of renewable energies. So um, there's that. Iran is on the move, folks, and they are at it. Mobile security firm Lookout has analyzed a piece of Android spyware used by the Iranian government to surveil minority groups in the country and monitor arms, alcohol, and drugs trafficking. It's dubbed as Bolt Spy. The malware is likely installed by the Law Enforcement Command of the Islamic Republic of Iran. Hey, uh, Citizens Lab in Canada, want to have a conversation about this one? Just putting that out there. Since they appear to be targeting Iranian Kurds, Azaris, uh, Bollocks, and possibly Armenian Christian groups, evidence also suggests potential law enforcement use of the malware to counter and monitor trafficking. They believe that Faraja uses physical access to devices likely obtained during detention to install the bold spy to further monitor the target on release. The malware command and control panel allows operators to manage victim devices, build custom bold spy applications that impersonate Android system services, the mobile CPU benchmarking tool, CPU-Z, a currency converter, an interest rate calculator, a prank app, and a VPN app uh, as well. Given the likelihood of the physical installation as the initial vector, it's possible that bold spy victims had legitimate versions of the apps installed when their devices were confiscated. Those apps were trojanized in order to avoid detection by the victim. So um, the Iranians, obviously, all for human rights, y'all. Um, let's uh, keep that uh, uh, there as well. Iran's also on the move with a famous Bella Chow malware that's targeting US, Europe, and Asia. 
the Iranian state-sponsored group has been accused of deploying a new strain of malware named Bella Chow against several victims in the U.S., Europe, India, Turkey, and other countries. Those who have never watched the Netflix show Money Heist will not know the irony of them using Bella Chow. Uh, researchers from cybersecurity firm Bitdefender attributed the malware to uh, Mint Sandstorm or Charming Kitten. One name, please. Can I go back to my one name rants here? Um, Martin Zogak, technical solution director at Bitdefender, told Recorded Future News that the malware developers named the malware Bella Chow as a reference to the Italian folk song about resistance fighting. Bella Chow is a dropper malware designed to deliver other malware onto the victim's devices based on instructions from the attacker. It's designed to be completely stealthy, doesn't communicate with the threat actors much. It's completely passive in receiving the instructions while it works. I've, I've never seen this technique that they're using before. Like I said, there has been a shift in Iran's cyber capability. That shift is because of their alliance with Russia and China over the war in the Ukraine and other aspects of geopolitical importance as the U.S. slowly its foreign policies become unclear in the Middle East while we warm up to the Iranians and hoping that they would change their ways while uh, attacking our uh, allies like Saudi Arabia and other uh, Gulf states. Um, the Iranians have cozied up to the Chinese and the Russians potentially as a game of hardball, uh, but nonetheless, um, um, this has been uh, significant, and um, now we're seeing them really uh, get highly sophisticated in their uh, Iranian in their cyber capabilities. Don't let this uh, swing by the wayside. If you're if you're a practitioner, Iran now becomes one of your top targets. Um, I would I would put Iran over Russia. And I know that's controversial. I know someone's going to call me out on it, and that's fine. I'll tell you why. Russia's so busy with the Ukraine and so busy with NATO countries. They're not really looking outwards right now. That's their focus. Iran's become that satellite, and Iran's trying to destabilize and become a greater disruptor. They're using the North Korea playbook from 2014 and 15 uh, to try and get some sort of concessions, especially with their new hardline president. Keep your eye on this, folks. Uh, this is going to be significant going into the second half of this year. Rising tensions over Taiwan is forcing the U.S. administration to take proactive activity in the cyberspace. A recent bill that's being introduced by U.S. lawmakers aimed to strengthen Taiwan's cyber defenses signals how the U.S. is shifting its focus from the Russia-Ukraine war to the China-Taiwan conflict as tension continue to rise. China's becoming an emerging power, has become, is an emerging power, is alleged to have launched at least 20 to 40 million cyber attacks every month in 2019 against Taiwan, with some later being used against the U.S., the bipartisan legislation called the, the Taiwan Cybersecurity Resiliency Act would require DOD to broaden and strengthen cybersecurity cooperation with Taiwan by conducting cyber training exercises, defending the country's military networks, infrastructure, and systems, and leveraging U.S. cybersecurity technologies to help defend Taiwan against Chinese cyber attacks. Why is this critical? 95% of, uh, of cybersecurity, uh, uh, sorry, of semiconductor technologies produced in Taiwan China's eye on Taiwan is not for reunification of the one China policy. That's what they tell the people. That's the, that's the romantic side of the story. It really is the fact that once they take over semiconductor uh, production in Taiwan by invading the country, and then the uh, capacity that they've got on all the cobalt mines in Africa and in Latin America, they control the entire supply chain A to Z. And that's significant. This this goes beyond cyber. Cyber is just another milestone in the process here. This bill is important, but it's also important that we we really look, and I'm not saying we should go to war over this, but we should show that we will back Taiwan 
we should arm Taiwan. Um, we should develop an international coalition uh, to defend Taiwan because it's in everyone's interest, India's interest, it's in Europe's interest, it's in Brazil's interest, it's in everyone's interest that China does not take Taiwan. Because if it does, then if you don't follow the Chinese uh, way of doing things, then you're likely going to have supply chain issues and it's going to be hard for you to take uh, to, to, to recover from that. So keep that in mind, y'all. Um, keep that in mind. And finally, our uh, final story here is CISA is, has announced a proposed guidance for secure software development and they've now opened it up for a 60-day period of public uh, feedback and review. So you can go and check that out. Link is in the show notes. Something worthy of reading I've uh, glanced through it. It seems pretty decent. I've got some uh, notes myself that I'll be making in the 60-day window. So go check that out. That's it for our show this morning. Thank you all for tuning in. We'll be back tomorrow at 9 a.m. right here live on Facebook, LinkedIn, YouTube, Twitter, Twitch. Catch the rerun at 10 a.m. Eastern on our CyberHub podcast page on LinkedIn. Until then, have a great rest of your day. And most importantly, y'all, stay cyber safe. We love feedback, so make sure to connect with us on social media and subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcast listening platform.